Hello, and welcome back to the RevOps Show. We have a very special guest on the show today. Welcome, Paul Rotzer. Paul is the founder and CEO of Marketing AI Institute and is the co-author of Marketing Artificial Intelligence, AI Marketing, and the Future of Business. We have a lot to look forward to when it comes to AI. Paul and Doug get into discussing what the future holds and what we can come to expect within the next few years with AI. So let's get into the discussion. Hello, and welcome to a special interview episode of the RevOps Show. Um, Today, we get to have a conversation. Uh, Believe it or not, everybody, this has been on my list to have uh, an interview conversation on this topic Gosh, for a couple of years, but uh, let me shut up and, and, and introduce the world-renowned AI guru, Ninja, um, Sherpa, the AI Sherpa. That's what we'll call you from now on, Paul. Everybody meet Paul Rotzer if you don't know who he is. Paul, welcome to the show. Wow, no pressure. Special edition, world-renowned. Yep. There you go, yep. I need you as my hype guy everywhere I go. That's right. That's right. <laughs> remember uh, remember um, uh, Along Came Polly? The Philip uh, Thomas Bork, you know, he had an e-crew. I joke around about that with all this stuff we have. Apparently now there's a uh, – actually, I, I heard about this. Uh, I listened to Pivot, the podcast Pivot, and okay. Scott Galloway was was talking about this. Uh, apparently it's this video app that, you know, you have your selfie stick or whatever, but the AI removes automatically removes the selfie stick. So it can look like you have your own e-crew sure. following you yep. everywhere. So. Yeah, I could. So I guess uh, I could see that. It's doable. So I guess, I guess we'll start there. Is is that um, what we have to look forward to in the in the new Dude, world? It's, it's going to be wild. So my wife uh, is an artist. Um, she, I would say, tolerates listening to me talk about AI. She she <laughs> listens to me talk about business. Uh, she's an amazing listener and. A lot of times I solve problems by talking it through with her and she is amazing about it. But her level of interest in AI is probably almost non-existent. But this morning she said to me, I keep seeing all these AI things like on Twitter or wherever she's at. She goes, there's this one where like when you put a, take a video, like you're, it actually uses AI to fix your eyes on the camera. Even if you're looking away, she goes, is that a thing? I'm like, oh, yeah, like Apple has that in FaceTime. Uh, It's synthesizing your eyes and making them appear to be looking at the camera when I'm not looking at them. So if you think about your iPhone and you're on FaceTime, our tendency, even on Zoom, is to look at ourselves talking, not the person we're talking to. And so AI makes it as though your eyes appear to be looking at the person you're talking to, not you, even though you're not doing it. So, yes, we are entering a world where little by little, we won't know what's real. (laughs) This sort of reminds me of what I've been waiting for all this time with video. If you remember the Jetsons, the the answering machine had a cardboard cutout of George. So when the answering machine came on, it was there was the video of him as well. That sounds like uh, so I, oh, I no there. longer yeah. have to, this might be perfect. I no longer have to be there to to maybe be there. Yeah, the the real so the the thing you were just saying about the real time removal of the selfie stick is very interesting. So, uh, you know, if you look at ads from Google pixel, they've been talking about the ability to remove images, people, anything like kind of just AI magic, but to dynamically do that in real time. Like, so for example, if you and I are talking and it removes my headphones and it looks like I'm talking without headphones, I, I mean, infinitely doable, but I hadn't actually heard about an application of doing that sort of thing in real time. So 2023 is going to be weird. All this stuff is doable. It's just who's got the idea to apply what's already available to a use case that they think of. It's whatever the imagination can bring to life. And I think this generative stuff all started with the Snapchat filters so that a mustache would appear on wherever you were or things like that. I think that's where. um, Yeah, I mean, we've probably been being introduced to it for for a couple of years. I mean, we weren't thinking of it as generative AI. That was sort of the what what emerged in fall of 2022 is the catchphrase for all of this. But 
Um, I mean, it's based on, so GPT, which is the foundation of the language models, like chat GPT is based on, is generative pre, uh, pre-trained transformer. So generative is, is actually the, the technical terminology for the architecture that powers this stuff, which wow. is generative AI emerges. So, um, you know, I'm a fan of tech. I'm a yes. fan of AI. I don't always appear to be. I wanted to have this conversation with you. And, and for those that don't know, this actually got stimulated with um, uh, uh, maybe a snide remark from me um, about uh, the craze on, on, on chat GPT. Um, and, and so I, I'm, I want to play the role of my customer today, of, of a lot of the people that I'm working with that, uh, you know, candidly, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I think I understand AI better than 98% of the people in the world. And, and I'm not really sure that I understand it. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I know that a lot of people are there. So, so let's start off with a really, um, on the surface, it sounds like a simple question, but, but I know the answer is not simple. What is AI? So when we talk about AI is the future, people talk about it like that's one thing, but it's really mm. a span of a whole bunch of things. So what is AI? Yeah, the blessing and the curse of ChatGPT is it brought AI to the masses, millions of users in you know weeks. It it stimulated conversations with people of all walks of life that I didn't even know knew I worked in AI. Like I'm at dad's basketball on Thursday night, and guys are coming up to me like, "Oh, did you see that thing? Like, what do you do? You work with that stuff?" And all of a sudden, ChatGPT became AI. Like that was the first right. experience many people had with it. And, and so there is that battling of like, wow, okay, it brought a lot of attention and awareness to AI, but in a very narrow um, technology, like a very specific thing. So I, the way we always define it is it's the science of making machines or software smart, like it's borrowed from Demis Hassabas, the founder of Google DeepMind. Um, the simplest way to think about that in a business world, marketing, sales, RevOps, whatever you work in is think about the software you use it doesn't ever get smarter. Like it doesn't do anything you don't tell it to do. So you buy HubSpot or you buy whatever the tool is and you write all the rules. You determine when emails are gonna be sent, what the emails are gonna say, what the sequence is gonna be, which list it's going to, like you figure all of that out. And then it doesn't get better unless you learn more information or take some data and improve what you're doing. So the basic premise is that in all software moving forward, whether it's email or marketing or like CRM, um, social media, analytics, whatever it may be, SEO, it's going to get smarter. It's going to take information in the data that's happening, people's clicks, people's opens, people's conversions, whatever that data is, and it's going to learn and help you by making predictions about what will happen next. It'll make these predictions. So in one sense, AI makes predictions about outcomes, which you can then use to become a better marketer, better salesperson. The other thing that we're seeing is it gives the AI, the machine, human-like abilities, language understanding, language generation, vision, the ability to, to create things, the generative space, creating images, illustrations, language. Those are human-like abilities that machines historically did not have the ability to do. So makes predictions about outcomes and behaviors, and it gives machines human-like ability. So like Surrey and Alexa, good example. It's hearing you, like it's listening. It's converting bits of data into words that it can understand, and then it's responding back to you in words. So it's language understanding, language generation, human capabilities em embodied in a machine. So I, I've had several people that have tried chat GPT mm -hmm. um, and, and th that have said, wow, that's the first time I've ever used AI. Yep. Um, and I'm like, oh, really? Do you, do you not use? They think. <laughs> right, right. Do you, do you, do you not use um, Gmail? Net, do you not use Netflix, Google Docs? Spotify? <laughs> right. Net, do, do you Maps. not use, um, you know, do you, are, are you not, are you never on a call that's transcribed automatically? Right. Yeah. Like those are all examples of, of AI as well. Very much. But people don't think of it as AI. So, so like from your experience, what, what do you think? Um, like, I, like I, you know, one stat that I think leads people to go over the top is, you know, in the next five years, every piece of software will have AI. And, and I'm mm -hmm. like, 
Well, they mostly do right now anyways, because minimal. And, and maybe I'm maybe yeah. I'm overstating that, but you know, natural language processing, there's an element of that of, of those elements. So like why is that not thought of as AI and all that other craziness? Yeah, so I mean it's good to have some historical context that AI has been a discipline, a, an area of study since the nineteen fifties. Like there's been belief that we could build these capabilities into machines, that they could be superhuman in their intelligence and their capabilities. But there was always these roadblocks they would run into in the research realm, specifically around the data um, and the compute power. So to, to do what they do with OpenAI and ChatGPT takes a massive amount of compute power. It's why they have their deal with Microsoft. Microsoft has a massive cloud infrastructure that can power all of this stuff. So there's been technological limitations. So first it took a breakthrough in AI research in 2011, where a team um, competing for this uh, called ImageNet, where it was computer vision, like recognition of images in, in, in photos and objects, uh, objects within photos. And they achieved a, a previously uh, what was thought to be a benchmark they couldn't get to. And so it proved that machines were actually able to quote unquote see within these photos. And it sort of, created this whole uh, rush for talent and technological capabilities between Microsoft and Google and Amazon, all these players to build these things. So while AI has existed within Microsoft Office in some capacity, Grammarly, certainly, you know, as it's reviewing, I think it's doing some processing of things, but that stuff became kind of table stakes in the AI world. So while it is a very small form of AI, it's not the level of things we're seeing today. A tangible way to think about this would be HubSpot. You and I both HubSpot partners, you know, through the years, I'm not anymore. I sold my agency, but um, HubSpot is a platform. It has what, four hubs? I don't, I don't even know now. Is it, if it's a four hubs, they have an ops hub. It depends what you service. call a hub. Technically, I think okay. it's five. <laughs> CMS hub, I think, I guess. So. Okay, let's say five hubs. So as a HubSpot customer, you may have a hub or you may have the whole thing. To date, as far as I know, HubSpot's website claims they have 10 AI tools, like lead scoring, um, I think topic clustering, maybe. Like they have very specific features in the platform that have any form of machine learning in it, meaning the machine takes data in and makes these predictions and helps you do something. So they historically have been very conservative in their AI play. They have they, the HubSpot largely today is still a human powered software platform. So you, the user, do everything in HubSpot. You can automate some things through rules you write, but HubSpot, generally speaking, doesn't get smarter on its own. That won't be the case in the near future. HubSpot has to invest heavily in AI. Um, every marketing software company has to. The challenge in recent years, going back to when we started the Institute in 2016, the CEOs of these software companies didn't understand AI. Many still don't understand AI. So you have CEOs of major software companies that are basically where you're at, Doug. They're like, I, I, I get it better than most, but I don't really actually get it. And yet they're the ones that are supposed to be driving the 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 direction of the companies. So I did this thing I put on LinkedIn last week. One of the ways I tried to figure out which companies were innovating in AI a, a year or two ago that I hadn't talked about publicly before was I went on LinkedIn and I took um, title keyword searches and I put in AI, ML, machine learning, artificial intelligence, current company. And I tried to see how many AI, ML employees were at each of these software companies. So like, give you an example, Adobe has 376, HubSpot has 15. So you tell me who's got the real stuff, who's more innovative in the space. Like it's, it's pretty obvious. Um, Microsoft has 4,000, Google has 3,000, AWS has three, like, and you can do this by vertical. You can go into like retail and see, oh, Target has 176, Home Depot has whatever. And so that we've been trying to find the AI basically. It, it was hard to find the companies that were really doing it. So we just went out and looked. So you, you, you talked earlier about I, so the route I'm going to go just to prepare you is I want to I want to share some of my fears and and the stressors that I see and um and you'll recall and this for everybody the 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 post that I made on LinkedIn was I'm not denying the excitement and the potential impact of Chat GPT but if you go out and you talk to 100 random people if two of them actually know what you're talking about um, you probably have a you know highly educated group let's 
be careful of the echo chamber, et cetera. And you said, well, if you don't, you know, you're going to be in trouble. And I don't, I don't disagree with that necessarily. But when you think about chat GPT, you said, you know, one of your definitions was it gives the software human like ability. And, and I, this might be semantical. And if you think so, please say, does it give it human like ability or does it give it the appearance of human like ability? It's the appearance. Right. And, and it's math, it's probabilities. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't actually know what it's saying. It's, it's just, it's predicting the simplest way to think about chat GPT is they, they use what are called tokens. So a token think of as a word, it generates tokens and it predicts the next token or word in a sequence and it does it over and over again. So it starts writing a sentence and then it looks at its previous words and it predicts what the token is. All that is actually mathematics. So does it actually understand what you're asking? Does it actually understand its reply? At the moment, the publicly available versions, probably not. Does that mean that in the next three to six months, there won't be versions that do? I wouldn't bet against it. Like if this stuff is moving insanely fast and there's capabilities sitting within Google and Meta, probably even OpenAI, uh, Microsoft, that'll do things that we can't even comprehend at the moment. Um, so my basic take on it is, does it matter? It's semantics, but it's irrelevant. Like it, it's capable of doing things you and I can do in some cases better, in some cases with significant li- limitations, like it doesn't know facts. But then again, I would argue, does half of society know facts today? Like. <laughs> I mean, we just sort of make stuff up as society. So is it really that different than humans? I don't know. Like, it's just, I just deal in the reality of it can do the things we do. It just has limitations. I'm, I'm going blank on the guy's last name for some reason, because I'm pretty sure his first name was Doug. He spoke at your first. Um, um, Rushkoff. Team there human. Rushkoff. I, I yep. actually, yes, I actually was thinking Rushkoff. I'm like, no, it can't be that. I, anyways, and, and, I, and, um. He said something on the stage that I've never forgotten. I've talked about regularly and, 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 and it's actually a major concern of mine in, in terms of, uh, this generative AI that I'm seeing. And that is that what we're mm-hmm. doing is we're auto-tuning ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I don't know, I like, I did have someone finally, finally call me on my, um, whatever, uh, my pompousness or on, on the, you know, you know, it, the, the, the human mind creates, I, I think we might get, you know, I, I know they're talking about the number of neural connections um, is currently equal to that of a dolphin and, you know, on and on. And, and soon it'll be equal to ours. And I'm like, okay, but there, there's something with humanity that goes beyond just our electronics and our neuro connections. There's a, there is a creation, there's a shift, there's a thing that we see that's there. Um, and, and so they, you know, they called me on it by saying, well, so I guess you don't use Grammarly. And I'm like, oh my God, I use Grammarly all the time. I wouldn't. I don't know that I could and like, well, what? Um, and, and so, you know, t- t- to me, there's a difference because I mean, AI type it before Grammarly tells it typically. And, and I do feel a little bit of guilt when it rewrites my sentence and I accept it. I will admit that I, I, I accept it, but I feel a little guilty in accepting it. Yeah. Um, but as, as all this data is coming and, and, and I do think like on the exceptional side, the, you'll use creators will use these AI tools to enable more of their creation so that the, the redundant tasks and things like that are, are taken care of. But, but given the fact of the statement that we all make this up, et cetera, and as this algorithm is solving for the best, right, whatever, doesn't it, don't we ultimately all end up, doesn't this ultimately all kind of take everything to, to a sameness? Do, do we not lose and and it might be, hey, that doesn't matter. That's the future. Get ready for it. But you know, when we talk about marketers, let me pause before I throw you another another question. Mm-hmm. So I'll kind of riff for a second. There's a few bigger thoughts I have on this. Some of the best conversations I have had in my last eleven years researching AI are with my daughter. So my daughter is eleven. She's she is a, wants to be an artist when she grows up. Always have an 11 year old around you when you're talking about new, new trends. No question. It helps me simplify things because she'll ask smart questions and I'll try and explain what I do and got to simplify it. So 
I, I shared this story in a reply on LinkedIn or Twitter recently, and I, it was a story I told at, at our conference this year um, with my daughter's permission. So I'll share it here. Um, when I was when I first got access to Dolly in June of 2022, and I could generate images and illustrations with a prompt, I debated whether or not to show it to her. So she was 10 at the time, wants to be an artist. And my fear was it would take away her hopes of what she wanted to be when she grew up, that she would feel that a machine could do what she wanted to do, and therefore, why should she pursue it? So I was very cognizant of showing her this. And I decided I needed to show her. And so I sat her down. And I said, I want to show you something that, you know, AI, you know, I work in AI. It now has this amazing ability to create things, illustrations, drawings, like anything you can imagine, any piece of artwork. So she just gave me this really weird look like she did not want to be there. And I said, just give me a prompt. It's called like, tell me something you wanted to make. And she's like, I don't want to do this. And I said, just trust me. Like, we got to try it. So she said, fine, a fat, fluffy unicorn dancing on rainbows. So I type it in. And it outputs six illustrations of a unicorn dancing on rainbows. She looks at me, gets up, walks out of the room. I want to talk about it. Wouldn't again, like that day, like didn't want to talk about it. So a month goes by, I'm sitting on the back porch and I am building my presentation for Macon, which was in August of 22. And she sat down and I said, Hey, can I talk to you about that day? I showed you Dolly, um, the AI thing. And she goes, yeah, what do you want? What do you want to talk about? And I said, I want to know what you felt when I showed that to you. And she said, I don't like AI like you do. And I said, I don't have, I don't like it. I love, like, I don't like that it can do what you and mommy do. My wife's an artist. I don't like that it can do what I do. I'm a writer by trade. Like I just accept it and I'm trying to figure it out so I can help people who do this for a living understand what this all means. Okay. So that night we're laying in bed. She goes, you know what I, what I don't like about that AI? I said, what? She said, it's stealing people's imaginations. People put up their artwork that comes from their imaginations on, on the internet and it steals it. I don't ever want my artwork online because I don't want an AI to steal my imagination. It's what makes me who I am. And I was like, that is the best definition I've actually ever heard of generative AI. That's what it does. <laughs> and, but then there's this other part of me that steel mans it and says, how is it any different than what humans do? If I wanted to learn how to do artwork, I'm going to go study other people's artwork. If I want to learn how to write, I'm going to study writers. If I want to learn how to write poetry, I'm going to go study poets. And I'm going to synthesize everything I learn into my own forms. How is it different than what AI is doing? You just uh, very succinctly summarized the base arguments in two large class action lawsuits that are taking exactly. place. Exactly. It's going to be decided the Supreme Court. And one yes. from a group of musicians. Yep. Yes. It, um, and I, I actually, I don't know the answer to that question. So I pose this as there are a lot of very difficult questions that we're going to have to grapple with as society. I accept that those questions need to be debated. I don't take a side in either of them. I don't, I don't I'm trying to figure this out like everybody else. So I started to experiment, by the way, I mean, just kudos to the <laughs> brilliance of, of, of an 11 year old who crazy, isn't it? You know, and I and I didn't know what direction it was going to go because the the other reason that I I think having eleven year olds around is so valuable, um, a, a, you have to communicate it simply so that you can both understand it. Although they understand a lot more, I think, than we realize that they do. But but the other thing is they're not they're not tied by the perception of, you know, what I had to learn how to diagram a freaking sentence. So if you don't mm -hmm. have to die, you know, the, you know, there's that. Luckily, I was really bad at diagramming sentences. So that's why I've had no problem using, uh, you know, adopting Grammarly. If, if, if you go back years and years ago, you, mm -hmm. how long did it take? So let's say 40 years ago, how long did it take if a marketing firm was going to put together a visual presentation for themselves or for a client? It would, it would take weeks or months. It as long take, as the client's budget would allow, they would spend as much time as needed. <laughs> But, 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 but I also am taking that aside. I mean, yes. there's, there's our, there's our mutual <laughs> cynicism that our skepticism that, that ties us together. But yes. Weeks, months. Yes. Right. I mean, cause, cause you had to die yet. You, you had to put it on laminate. You had to go through all these things. Um, and then PowerPoint came out. Yep. Right. And, and now you can do it in seconds. And, and, and it was the democratization of, I, I make the argument that 
the illustrations, the presentations, the things that we did years ago as a whole, while they were much fewer, were 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 better because you had to do the work up front to justify the cost of everything else that would come after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think direct mail was more creative than email is because you had to do all the work to justify the cost to be able to to, to get it out. And so as it gets easier and easier and easier, while yes, we can use that to enable it, you kind of, you know, it's doing the thinking for you. And, and, and that's why I say it's, it's the appearance of human like, you know, the difference is we just get, we're getting to a mushier and mushier and mushier middle, which, which leads to the opportunity. So I, I, I do think the exceptional, like if you can be exceptional, there's, there's more power to you to be exceptional. It's harder to be exceptional, but, but we're also, you know, the, the, the stakes are changing. Like that's what scares me when I think about this and the application of it. Um, and what does it mean when I don't know if this really happened or not? You know, it's like the second order, third order effects. Um, I, I promise I'll get less philosophical and more into um, ap- application in a minute. But like how as, as you're thinking about it and, and, and I realize that you don't you're not on either side, though. I mean, though I have clearly are also, opinions. But right. Yeah, so but, we'll say I'm in the middle. Right. You know. Right. You know, but but at the same time, you know, you are certainly an enabler of. Right. You are in the. Um, I mean, mar- I mean, I would say Marketing AI Institute is an enabler of AI. It's helping to spread the message. And and, and, the re- and I agree with you. It doesn't matter. It's there. It's a reality. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, I, so how- I look at our role as I mean, you go back to Douglas Rushkoff, why he was there as the closing keynote. The tagline of that conference was more intelligent, more human. My, my belief is that if we do this right, AI is a once in a generation, maybe once in humankind opportunity to um to allow us to actually be more human to free us up from a lot of the repetitive tactical things that don't create fulfillment in our lives to focus on things that do um so like for example i use ai to free myself up to spend more time with my family to invest more time in my community like that's how i see ai it's like i I accept it's there i get that it does some things i wish it didn't do but at the end of the day I'm going to understand it as deeply as possible because I'm going to one, figure out how to educate my children around it two, hopefully have an impact on higher education and how they teach it. Um, three, make sure that businesses responsibly use it and aren't unethical in their application of the power they're going to have. Like that's what I think of the Institute as do we teach people the technologies and, and tools? Yeah, they're, they're out there anyway, but I want you to get that tool and then redistribute your time and resources in the, in the proper way. And so I see the Institute as a way for us to have a voice in that. Do, do, do you have a take if if a certain amount of content, like if if someone is paying me, let, let, let's just say that I'm working with Coca-Cola, which I'm not. Yep. And I write a blog post about soda unrelated to the work that I'm doing for Coca-Cola. I am supposed to disclose that Coca-Cola is a client, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's that. Do you think, or do you think either now, or do you think there will, that the time will come that content that is like once more than a certain percentage of whatever's being created is created from AI or whatever, that, that that should be disclaimed? I think by the middle of 2023, it will be expected that every publisher discloses exactly how they use AI. Um, CNET just got blasted last week because they were disguising their use of AI to write crap content that was just for SEO value uh, and affiliate links. Um, I just saw something yesterday from a scientific journal that says you cannot have AI as a co-author of any scientific papers because the, um, the, the writers are responsible for the factual nature of everything they publish and AI is incapable of having that um, as one of its features that it doesn't know what it says is factual or not. Um, we're going to make a very big push. We have our AI for writers summit, March 30th, that we just announced. That's going to be one of the cornerstones of that is that how do we move forward as an industry with transparency around the use of AI? I think it's going to be initially 
pushed for as an expectation of your ethical use of AI. And I think in the not too distant future, it'll be regulated and required by government that you disclose it. So obviously Europe will start with that since they seem to be the only ones willing to. Yeah. And then state by state in the US, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I was saying like, I've, I've said this a couple of times, I think Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI and a few other of these language model entrepreneurs will have their Zuckerberg moment in front of the US Congress. I, I think not too yeah. distant future, you're going to, we're going to have public hearings about large language models, how they're used, um, how they can be used to manipulate people, spread false information. It's, it's inevitable. Like, um, there's such a lack of understanding of these things that we, we have to advance as a society. A few years a few years ago, the hot thing on AI was the deep fakes, the video deep fakes. Um, I haven't heard mm-hmm. much about that. Is that still, is that, I mean, I would imagine that's still a thing and like, Scary is that a growing issue? Yeah. It's not talked about a lot. You're right. But just like last week, I think it was Microsoft announced a breakthrough that they can synthesize someone's voice with three seconds of audio to give you, give you perspective. When we tried to do our book, we were going to actually use a synthetic version of my voice trained on Google wave technology. It needed 40 hours of training data. Um, now they're saying they can do it in three seconds. That's what I need is I need, I need <laughs> to be able to have my voice replicated multitudes of time. Cause you know, yeah. everybody wants to hear it. Yeah. There's my, my guess is, um, sitting within multiple research labs right now is the ability to, to completely replicate you and I on very minimal training data and have very, um, realistic likenesses of us in synthetic form. I mean, it's happened in Hollywood. Like you're going to have actors are going to sign away their digital rights so that their estates can license their likenesses at any age. You can replicate someone in their voice and you'll see them in movies and it'll look just like they're there. And yeah. Hopefully it'll look better than the uh, CGI CGI, uh, de-aging stuff that they've been (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I hope it's going to look way better. Yeah. 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 You know, I've used, um, I tested out several of the uh, email tools mm-hmm. that are out there as, you know, from a generous standpoint. And, and here's what I found. I found that, um, they, they, you know, they all apply certain rules. And, and one of the dangers that I always find is everything great or even really good, I always find it, it yes, it follows certain rules, but it also breaks a rule. And so mm-hmm. once you follow every rule, it, it, it loses some. And so what I found was that, those tools were really good. And I haven't um, gone into some of the other deeper writing things. So I'm, I'm curious on, on your take on this. It's yeah. really good to take things that are bad and make them okay. So like if your emails mm-hmm. suck and you want them to not suck, then using those tools will typically make them suck less at least. Mm-hmm. But but I found that like I even tested it with some with some emails and, and things that, that I knew and I had the data that convert it really well. And it took those and it tried to make them like the other things. Um, you know, for example, I will often emails that work for me are often longer than quote unquote an email should be. So of course it tried to chop it up, et cetera. Do, do you find the same thing? Or are you seeing more where it's actually taking it to, you know, from good to really good? I have a couple of thoughts. The one is I think there's going to be a spectrum of how these tools are used. So if you're a average writer um, or a not good writer, these can make you a good writer. Like you can go in and say, write me a sales email for this product and drop the URL in there and um, make it less than 300 words and make sure to use five bullet points. You're going to be able to do that. You can do that with ChatGPT right now. So you give it very specific prompts of what you want. Now, ChatGPT, like many of these tools, is a a general use case technology. So, you know, if you go to Jasper or Writer or HyperWrite or ChatGPT or whatever, it's not trained on anything specific to you. And so I think, and even like in HubSpot, I think that they have maybe some machine learning in their sales stuff or natural language processing for sure, where it's like doing, but even then it's just like, oh, this is more characters than it should be. Or this is, it's some standard rule set and it's just checking your emails against that. What it's not doing is learning that the last 20 emails that Doug sent, here was the difference between those emails. Here's the ones that perform best. And so the recommendations you would be getting in your portal 
would actually be tuned specifically to you and the performance of your emails with right. a foundation of what a great email might be, but it may learn that that has nothing to do with your emails. That's where we're heading. That's what the, the personalization of these recommendations based on the performance of your individual, but we're probably a, a year or two away from those being embedded into the, the platforms we use every day. And right now, yeah, you're patching together like a third party tool for this and that, and you're hopefully integrating here and there. But right now it's a lot of some basic AI built into emails that is still following some rules yeah. someone wrote about yeah. what a good email is. And that's not where it's going. You, you said something to me a few years ago that I have used liberally since in, in, in trying to explain the dangers. You synthesized of, something of, you learned. Exactly. So you don't cite I, me in this every case, time. I just stole, in this case, I just outright <laughs> stole it, ripped it off. And by the way, for the record, I don't even attribute it. I take full credit for the thought. Just so, <laughs> you should. Um, what is it? Uh, uh, smart people create new ideas. Geniuses steal them. Uh, someone said that one time and I said, yeah, that works. I like that. Um, but, you know, we, we just changed our name and I, and I joked internally that we, we messed up in changing our name and, and we messed up in the website that we got because really what we should have been is Lyft AI. Because if we were Lyft AI, I'd be able to charge like 30% more for what, what we do. You know, I joke around, I say artificial intelligence. I get up in the morning, I have a cup of coffee and I put aspartame in it. Aspartame is artificial. And so, and the coffee gives me intelligence. I've got artificial intelligence, right? Um, and, and so there's so much, you know, everyone's out there AI and, and there's, there's the FOMO, there's no one understands it. So, you know, we promise it and it's, you know, out of box predictive lead scoring, it will tell you who's likely to close mm -hmm. right out of the box. Yeah. You, yeah. Throw your stuff in there and it will tell you like what you told me was, I remember we were talking about something. You said, it's not real, Doug. It, there's no training. It doesn't, there's no training involved and you don't, you can't have predictive without training. So, so talk about the importance of, of what does training mean as it relates to the real what I think are the more powerful applications of, of AI. So in the case, lead scoring is a tangible example. We'll stick on that. If, if you have, and this is a HubSpot had, what was one of their early offerings was a, a lead scoring capability. It wasn't very good. Predictive lead score. Yeah, it's still not very good. I love HubSpot, by the way. I'm not by any means trashing HubSpot. This is just, it's not good. <laughs> they know that. Um, but there are companies out there that that's what they do. Like they, they build these lead scoring models. So if you buy a lead scoring AI solution, it was trained on something. Like they had training data that tells them what's predictive. And based on your industry or the product or service you're offering, they have some training that tells them out of the box what likely a good lead looks like for you. The key though is, if you're buying a real AI from a real AI company, the learning really starts the day you sign on and put that script on your site. Cause now it starts learning your data and it might need a hundred thousand conversions. I don't know, like it's going to have some threshold and it's probably dropping lower and lower cause the stuff's getting really good at learning. But let's say it needs 5,000 conversions to find really fine tune that score to your business model and your customers and your sales process. That's fine. Like that's acceptable, but you have to go into it knowing that it's like, okay, I'm buying your lead scoring thing today. Your confidence in that model is 50% in month one, but we're going to get to 85% in month, month six. Once we've hit our threshold of conversions. Great. Now I know how to guide my team and my rev ops. And like, now I can actually think about it is truly just a supportive thing right away. I'm not telling my salespeople to rely on it. I'm actually going to advise my salespeople how to help tune the model by telling it good lead, badly, good lead, bad. And it'll learn what often happened with lead scoring as an initial pilot thing for a lot of companies. Is they buy this thing for whatever thousand a month sales. Hey, here you go. We got this new, amazing AI lead scoring thing. And sales like this thing sucks. Like the last 10 leads that told me were good, were terrible leads. Like what is it doing? And they stopped using it because there was no education around what it really was able to do and how it was going to get smarter over time. So I think most of the things you're bringing up, and I think the points you and I have talked about in the past, is an education issue. It's an understanding what 
really is AI? What is it capable of today? What are its limitations? And how good can it get with the proper training and patience on our end as as the consumer? And that's where like the business world is just so beginner level of what this stuff is. When when will the writing apps, and this is what, and again, I would, I feel guilty doing this, but I would certainly, mm-hmm. um, there'd certainly be a part of me that would be excited. I've looked at a lot of the writing apps and I'm like, uh, you know, I, I play with it to be familiar with it, but, you know, I, I have, you know, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I have my brand, I have my, my way of yeah. saying things, et cetera. And, and that's, that's the auto tuning element that I, um, that I brought up. But what I would love to see is you know, a, a writing app where I could take, you know, 15,000, like I could take all my blog posts and yep. put it in there. I could take this and then it could begin to go, okay, here's, here's some of that style and element and, 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 and other things like that. How, how far away do you think we are before those applications get? It's, it's like, I know they exist, now. but how long before they yeah. get to something? I would be shocked if by the end of this year, it's not a standard feature. Okay, cool. Like when you sign on for a platform that maybe it's an add-on or something, but that you can feed it. Here's a hundred examples, 200 examples of my writing or this. Like, so if you think about your, uh, like if you're a media company and you have journalists, how beautiful is that? If not only do I buy a system that helps us write, but I can immediately train it on a hundred articles from each journalist. And then each of those journalists actually has a unique instance of the writing tool that learns their style. And so you have your overall brand guidelines, you have your fundamental writing guidelines, but then you have the per- person specific writing. And now it feels like it's really me when it's making recommendations. It, I, I don't see why it wouldn't be available this year. I, I don't know that there's any limitations to it being available this so, year. So next time we're together somewhere in the evening, we'll, we'll pick up this conversation because I'm really curious about the second order effects there and what your thoughts are. But I want to make sure I hit one last place. Yeah, which is somewhat how I feel. And I know a lot of executives, if they're even thinking about AI, feel this way. And that is, Paul, I got more than enough on my plate to keep track of and understand. You're now telling me I need to understand the future of AI. What's this? What's that? Like, where do I find the time? Where do I find the capacity to do that? I'm, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get my team to adopt their sales process and everyone's telling me I need to be a publishing company and now I need to be an AI publishing company, right? How, how do I, how do I manage all of those things? I mean, from an analogy standpoint, I I think the simplest way for people to understand it is if we rewound to 1995, if we were around back then and you said, I don't have time to learn the internet. I got a business to run. I think that's what you just explained. Like to think about trying to run a business and have a a sustainable and profitable business model in the future where AI isn't infused into the company, I don't think you have a company in three to five years. I mean, I really, but, I really see AI as foundational to every business the way the internet became foundational to every business. So, so I I think that I think that there's um, I think there's a continuum, and and so I would say. I agree with you. AI is going to be infused in every business. I I would make the argument that whether I pay attention to it or not, and I'm not saying I shouldn't pay attention to it, but whether I pay Mm -hmm. attention to it or not, it's going to be infused in my business. Like like you said, there's no question that HubSpot is going to be investing more in AI. So if I'm on HubSpot, there's going to be more AI. If I'm on Salesforce, there's already more AI. Now, some of that AI is promotional crap that takes me in the wrong, right? But- Like, I, I think that there were a lot of companies, you know, I'm, I'm a mid-market um, distribution company of uh, highway contracting materials, right? The internet had a brochure-ish effect. I know some people are like, oh, yeah, we've got to be, you know, and it's like, well, you know what? You, you don't need to be the leader there. You can't be, yeah. you know, and, and, and so I feel like everyone's being called out that, that you, like, you need to understand chat GPT and determine how chat GPT is going to um, change your business. And, and it's like, how do I find that middle ground where so many people, I got a business to operate and yeah, that that's going to impact me in the future, but I got to worry about my, you know, the cost of raw materials are going up. But yeah, I think you're a hundred. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right. There's, it's going to be 
there's going to be a distribution curve to how quickly this happens. Like you said, in 95, 2000, 2005, I mean, you and I worked with a lot of clients. Like 2010, there was a bunch of crappy websites. Like a lot of people in a lot of industries got away with doing the bare minimum with the internet. All right, fine. I got a website. I haven't updated in five years, but I have a website. There's going to be companies and industries that that's what happens here. They're just going to do the bare minimum and they're going to probably keep surviving for a while. But I think it's like, if you think about RevOps and, and the problems you're trying to solve for clients, and you, if you look at them through solving them with known technology and capabilities in this moment, as of the day we're recording this podcast, and if the rate of innovation is moving as quickly as I think it is in marketing, sales, rev, everything, in six to 12 months, the solution you're putting in place today is going to be inefficient versus what else is available in the market. And so all I advise people is you have to approach this from two angles. One is a use case angle, which is what are some quick win things? I can go get our AI writing tool and I can save my team 50 hours a month. Great. Like go pilot a few of them, find one that works and in integrate that tool and start saving yourself some time. What you need to simultaneously do is the education of really understanding what's possible. So you look at problems differently. Then you look at your organization and say, okay, what are the core things I am constantly trying to solve for myself or for my clients? Is AI right now or in the very near future able to help me solve those differently? So if I think about the Institute, a lot of what we do is content creation. We're you know, first and foremost, a media company. We publish a ton of stuff. So if I just looked at our editorial strategy for 2023 and said, let's keep doing what we're doing. Let's go to three to five posts a week. Let's spend three to five hours on every post. Let's put the podcast up and um, keep grinding. See if we can do it. No, like what we did is we said back in November, December, um, what does an AI powered content strategy look like for us? How can we scale up content production with less resources, with more value creation for our readers? And so we started completely reimagining our content strategy and what our content team could look like moving forward based on what we know is now possible. So content is core to what we do. I'm doing the same thing with online education and events. Like we're basically picking the business apart one by one and saying, what's a smarter version of this look like? Because if we don't do it, someone else could come along and do it. And that's, I just, I think you have to be realistic about the industry you're in and the likelihood of disruption happening to you, but assume it's going to happen at five to 10 times the rate it previously happened. So when I hear these statements, I think, I think it was Gates who said this, we have a tendency to overestimate the change that's going to occur in one year and underestimate the change that's going to occur in 10 years. Mm -hmm. I kind of, with all the noise that I'm hearing about, um, AI, like I kind of feel that does have, yeah, have the way I would, the context I would put it in is I've been, so in 2011, when I started studying this, I thought by 2016, 17, it was just going to be everywhere. The AI was just going to be ubiquitous within all software. I was way overestimated that. Um, 2016, we launched the Institute. By 2018, 19, I'm like two, three years, like everywhere. Total intelligent automation of, of marketing and sales. Here we are three years later, four years later, and now we're at the base of the exponential curve. Okay. So what I said when I sold my agency, the decision I made, it was a split, split second decision. I was on a walk in Florida on vacation in April of 21. I was listening to Genius Makers, and it told the story of the last decade of innovation in deep learning starting in 2011 with the ImageNet thing I was talking about and the DeepMind and Jan LeCun going to Facebook and all this stuff. And then it talked about the breakthroughs in language and vision technology. And at that moment, I realized I had overestimated how quickly this would happen. And I'd underestimated the total impact it was going to have on business and society. And I, I think that's the moment we're in is we can sit here and think maybe we're overestimating. We might be right in some ways and might be wrong in other. I mean, go back to November, beginning of November, nobody knew ChatGPT was coming. It changed everything. Like, I would not be shocked if we have three or four moments like that in 2023 stuff that gets released from google or meta where you're like are you kidding me like <laughs> how did they do that like video generation with text prompts is coming very very quickly um language models are going to get way way better real fast 
I study this stuff for a living and I can't tell you, but I can tell you it's going to be mind-blowing stuff. I mean, I talk to enough people on the inside to know there's things coming that are mind-blowing, but can't go into specifics. But I don't, I don't think we're overhyping it because I don't think generally we even comprehend what's about to happen. Um, so I will leave with this and, um, this is not, I'm not saying this just because you're here. So I've made the decision personally that I can only pay attention to so many things from a lead perspective. And AI is Mm -hmm. one of the places where like, I chose not to make that one partially because the companies I work with and where I am wasn't in a place to take advantage of those things in an early stage. So I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch some companies that I think will be key and some people that I think will be key and I'll follow them and kind of take that. And, and Paul, you're one of those people. And you know, the, the marketing AI Institute is another one. So let people know how they can um, kind of jump onto all the work that you're doing and take advantage of the years experience you guys have to begin to familiarize and how they can join the AI Institute, et cetera. Yeah. The, I mean, marketinginstitute.com is the, the starting place. If you're just getting started, we teach a free intro to AI for marketers class every few weeks via Zoom. Check that out. We had almost 900 people register for the last one. The average is 300. So like interest in this stuff is exploding. If you're into podcasts, there's a podcast there. There's a newsletter. Basically like any choose your own adventure in essence, but the inst- marketinginstitute.com is the place to go figure it out. And obviously we have a book as well. So yeah, I mean, f- figure out where to dip your toe in the water. And what I always tell people is just be curious and find the thread to pull on. Like, you don't have to go deep on this stuff and be an expert on all of these things. It's like, if you're in RevOps, okay, just focus on that because your clients will start asking. I, I mean, the calls I've gotten in the last three weeks from people that didn't care we were doing AI for years, former clients of mine at the agency, where they're just like, okay, our board is mandating. We figure this out. And we have no idea what we're doing. What, what should we be doing right now? Um, that's the kind of stuff I think is going to happen as agencies are going to get calls. You as a VP of marketing might get a call. Like They're going to come trying to figure this stuff out. I, I heard there's a really good course on there about the implication of AI and sales. So you might, when you go visit the- Check it out, the academy. Out. Yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> Paul, thanks so much for joining. I, I, I could go on for Anytime. a I really appreciate it. Yeah, let's do it again in like six to twelve months, and let's see how uh, how accurate I was yeah, on some of the stuff. That's what we'll do. We'll, we'll we'll do a written follow up. We'll do some predictions, and we'll come back in six to twelve months and see how there the you predictions go. Turned Put, out. Hold me yeah. to it. We'll do some training. Um, <laughs> with that, thanks, Paul. We'll talk to everybody soon. Go out and uh, make AI yours. And that's a wrap on this episode of the RevOps Show. Thank you so much, Paul, for coming on the show. We are looking forward to doing a follow-up in the next few months to see what the future truly did hold for AI. My favorite part had to have been the story of Paul's daughter and how she felt AI was stealing imagination. I can't think of a better explanation after listening to that story. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast uh, platform you listen to us on. Leave us a review and share the episode. If you have any questions you would like to ask Doug or Paul about AI, email me at hannah at liftenablement.com or hit us up on Twitter at Demand Creator. Until next time, remember, you can't solve your upstream problems downstream.